In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. On the surface, it's just a brand. Even if it is a brand so recognized that its name is a stand-in for its product category. The company that makes Kleenex, Kimberly Clark, says it's discontinuing its consumer tissues in Canada. We have been operating in a highly constrained supply environment, the company said in a statement. We have been faced with some unique complexities on the Kleenex business. What's fascinating about Kimberly Clark's decision here is not that when we sniffle past the Kleenex this winter in Canada, we'll be reaching exclusively for things that aren't Kleenex. It's that this isn't the first big-name product to recently be pulled from Canadian shelves. And Kimberly Clark isn't the first company to issue a vague statement about difficulties in the Canadian market as the reason behind it. So what is behind these decisions that leave globally recognized products like Kleenex or Delicio Pizza unavailable in Canada while they sell well everywhere else? What are the vague challenges cited by the manufacturers? And what do all these exits tell us about Canada's declining prosperity and our openness to innovation? Because there is a line here that leads from Kleenex to some other unexpected places. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Walid Hijazi is an associate professor of economic analysis and policy at the Rotman School of Management. Hey, Walid. Hello, Jordan. Do you use Kleenex? Is it your preferred personal brand of facial tissue? Absolutely. We have probably 20 boxes in our home at this time. Did you stock up in advance of uh, the announcement this week? Yeah, the hoarding has begun because it's going to become impossible to get in Canada going forward. Okay, so tell me about that. Who owns the Kleenex brand and and what exactly did they announce this week? Yeah, so it's a company called Kimberly Clark, an, an American company, and they offer several products in Canada and they decided to pull the Kleenex brand uh, out of Canada and they were pretty vague in their announcement. They talked about, you know, unique complexities and supply chain challenges. But really, Jordan, what it comes down to, it's a question of profitability. Hmm. And there's this one law in economics that if companies are making a lot of money selling a particular product or in a particular line of business, they don't exit. Right. They did say that they would refocus their efforts on more innovative and high value products. And it just tells me that Kleenex is just not lucrative for them, given the Canadian environment and competition. We'll talk about the environment and competition in just a second. But first, you mentioned they sell other uh, products. What other products do they sell in Canada? Uh, just give me a few examples. And why would it just be Kleenex then? You know, and what's remarkable, Jordan, about Kleenex is they're actually facial tissues. 
But here in Canada, we don't say facial tissues. We actually say Kleenex. Right. That's how much of a, a name recognition they have. You know, the other products that, you know, everybody knows, they know Huggies, which is diapers and Cottonelle, the toilet paper. But the question becomes, you know, why was it the Kleenex, which turns out that it's the second uh, leading brand in Canada. And there's another brand, Royale, which is actually more prevalent. It's more, it's more popular among Canadians. And I think when people reach for facial tissues, they just think of it as Kleenex and they don't necessarily look for the Kleenex brand. Right. They just look for the box of, of facial tissues. Will this move impact jobs or the retail market or anything worth noting on the business side of things? Or is it just that some Canadians will now be sad they can no longer get their preferred brand of facial tissue? They've talked about moving their focus to higher branded, more innovative products. And we know that they have this facility in Huntsville, Ontario. It's been there for 50 years. So that's a, that's a facility that makes Kleenex right now. That's right. And, and some of the other Kimberly Clark products. And, you know, the question is, are jobs going to be lost there? Probably not. Because if Kimberly Clark refocuses their efforts in those other product lines that they have in Canada, then what will happen is, you know, those jobs can probably be accommodated in those other areas, especially if they increase their focus on pushing out those other brands. This should be an important lesson learned for Kimberly Clark. Are there things they could have done to save that brand in Canada? I don't know the answer to that. But Jordan, there will be business case studies done on this to say, what are the lessons learned for a company like Kimberly Clark? And how can they use that to ensure that, for example, Huggies remains a brand available in Canada? Well, when you look at the economics of this decision and, and why they made it, you know, is there something more that this can tell us about manufacturing and business in Canada? I want listeners to understand because the U.S. is such a big market and because the competitive forces and the ease of doing business in the U.S. is so much easier than it is in Canada, the prevalence of variety in brands is so much higher in the U.S. than it is in Canada. But directly to your question, about a company like Kimberly Clark operating in Canada, the first thing that you think about is the size of the Canadian market and economies of scale. Because it's such a competitive industry and they have to compete with Royale, sort of another uh, product of facial tissue, a brand of facial tissues, perhaps the Canadian market just isn't big enough right. to accommodate the economies of scale that, that, that you need. Is that a matter of scale only or are there other factors at play? There's a lot of other factors at play. So if I may, I'll just call out a book that we just published called Everybody's Business, How to Ensure Canadian Prosperity Through the 21st Century. And I, I just to put this into context, Jordan, in 1967, on Canada's 100th birthday, Canada was the third richest country in the world. There were only two other countries richer than us. That was on our 100th birthday. Here we are on our 155th birthday, and Canada has now fallen to 15th place. Huh. All these other countries are surpassing us, and there's lots of reasons for it, and our book digs into it. But this is the heart of the question that you asked, Jordan. You know, the World Economic Forum does this global survey of senior executives and CEOs and asks them, you know, what are the challenges 
associated with operating in the respective markets. And in Canada, the two that I will highlight, but there are many, but number one is dealing with an inefficient government bureaucracy. Hmm. It's important for governments to regulate. No one can deny that. But when you have over-regulation and conflicting regulations at different levels of government, that's really hard for companies to navigate, especially foreign companies. What does that look like, conflicting regulations at different levels? Can you just give me an example? Yeah. So, for example, in our book, we interview one of my former students who has a company that exports to 65 countries around the world. And he built a beautiful extension to his manufacturing facility in Oakville, Ontario. He complied with all provincial and federal regulations. But in at the municipal level, they held up opening of that facility despite full legal compliance where he had to negotiate with the local and, and, uh, and regional officials on things related to the environment and how they're going to be disposing all of their waste and so on. Hmm. The point is that this should all be aligned so that when a business is going through this entire process, they don't have to negotiate and comply with three different levels of government. It just makes it so much more difficult, hmm. especially when they're not aligned. And there's lots of examples like that. We need to streamline the regulatory environment in Canada because when we make it difficult for businesses to operate in Canada, like the Kimberly Clarks, we lose variety. But the other thing that we lose is innovation. And, you know, the statistic I gave you at earlier about Canada's falling prosperity relative to others. Mm -hmm. When you have this smothering effect of government regulation and I'll call bureaucracy, and there's some other things as well, which I can talk about, it really inhibits the ability of companies to be innovative. And the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, you know, looks at R&D spending. So I'll call that innovation. Canada lags most of our peers. And, you know, we're a G7 country. We should be leading the world in innovation, but we are not. And as a result of that, it's harder for companies to operate here and the most innovative companies just leave. You mentioned there are a couple of major factors. That's one of them. Um, what else plays a role in decisions like uh, the Kleenex exit? If you think of sort of the three big service providers in Canada sector, so when you think about a telecom, when you think about finance and banking, and you think about air transportation. Mm -hmm. One of the big challenges in Canada is because these three sectors are oligopolies, they're heavily restricted from competition. What ends up happening is the cost, the price that we pay for internet and cell phones, for financial services, for air transportation, they're all much higher. But Jordan, you know, the research in this area shows that when you don't have competition in those three sectors, there's a bunch of what are called downstream implications, which really impede the ability of companies to operate efficiently. What are those downstream implications? In the book, we profile a company that wants to provide design services to its clients. And when it wants to provide design services to its clients, it has to buy services from internet providers and so on. And when you don't have competition with the internet providers within Canada, and the evidence on this is incredibly clear, 
It's not just the cost associated with accessing these services, but it's the kinds of services that you're able to get access to. Hmm. And the one sad thing about this conversation is that most people don't know what they're missing. Right. Most people don't understand when you go into the United States or into Europe, there's a lot more variety and a lot lower prices. And when companies locate in a particular location, they start to think about, you know, all of my workers that I need to attract and the quality of life and the cost of living is incredibly important. So when you start adding all of these things up, it really undermines the the business environment where innovative companies that attract highly mobile workers where they want to locate. So Kleenex got the headlines last week because, uh, you know, as we've talked about, they are ubiquitous. Have any other large manufacturers, corporations done this with similar brands in Canada recently? Yeah, so the uh, the one that, you know, has gotten lots of media is Nestle Canada. They pulled out some of their frozen foods, so Delicio and Stouffer's and Lean Cuisine. Right. And then Little Debbie's, for those people that have a sweet tooth, pulled out a bunch of, of their products. And, you know, one thing that I remember I loved eating as a kid was Bugles. I don't know if you remember those cone-shaped things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they also left Canada. So there's lots and lots of products that have been unable to survive in Canada. But they're doing fine elsewhere. Like these aren't products that are being discontinued. Not at all. These products are doing incredibly well in the U.S. Huh. But, you know, Nestle and Little Debbie's, they just basically say it's just, you know, for whatever reason, it's just not worth operating in Canada. And if I may, can I give another example, Jordan, in the healthcare space? Please. There's a, a gentleman. His name is Wakas Siddiqui. He's the CEO of a company called Biotricity. They provide remote healthcare monitoring. And so the question I always have for him is, you're from Winnipeg. You developed this company while you lived in Oakville, Ontario. And now you've proliferated this technology and it's being deployed in the U.S. and in several countries around the world. Why aren't you doing this in Canada? And his answer was clear. When it comes to healthcare, you got to go province by province, but even within each province, it's just too difficult. So I went into the U.S., he said to me in the interview, which we talk about in the book, and now they've saved hundreds of thousands of lives and saved millions and millions of dollars in healthcare spending. Hmm. So that's another example that's a product, but that is doing incredibly well in a foreign market, but hasn't been able to find a home in Canada in terms of the products that we're talking about, like Delicio and Lean Cuisine, and Little Debbie's and Kleenex, they were in Canada, but they didn't survive over the long time for a variety of reasons. It's going to take a long time, if we even decide to do it in this country, to untangle all of those regulations that you're speaking of. What are potential solutions we could implement now or in the short term that would help with some of this? You know, my family came to Canada in the 50s to give themselves and their children, us, a better life. There's no other country I would rather live in. Canada is a great country. We're the envy of the world. But you know, a lot can change in 50 years. And 50 years from now, what kind of future, what kind of country are we going to give our children? You know, if you look at the survey evidence, almost 70% of Canadians are resigned to the fact that their children are going to be worse off than they are, which is very sad. So the question is, how do you turn this around? Number one 
is we have to change our backward looking view. There's this very famous quote that talks about companies are only as innovative as they have to be. When you have this protectionist mindset, when all of these Canadian companies are protected from competition, then what ends up happening is they don't have to develop those new technologies. They don't have to compete. And what ends up happening is we get low productivity and the, the income of Canadians is a lot lower as a result. That's sort of, sort of a number one. We have to look at the industries of the future. The industries of the future require innovation. It requires competition. So that's number one. The second one has to do with what we call credentialing. That's sort of a provincial a jurisdiction. But just think of all of the immigrants that make Canada their new home every year. And everyone needs to understand immigrants do not take jobs away. Immigrants create jobs. The evidence is clear. They have much higher entrepreneurial intentions and so on. So we need to create policies that enable immigrants to utilize their skills to the fullest extent. Because when immigrants are allowed to fully integrate into the labor market, they are better off, but Canadians and the Canadian economy is better off. So the third one has to do with, with the tax system. And this here has several dimensions to it. One is the small business tax. So as companies grow, it's really, really punishing how the tax system treats companies as they grow. So there has to be put more effort into encouraging Canadian companies to grow. And very much related to that is tax credits we get through SHRED. So the federal government provides tax credits and these are administered by the Canada Revenue Agency. And, you know, there's no other way to make something more complex <laughs> than to have to apply to a revenue agency. And these right. often result in audits for other reasons. So we have to make it a lot more accessible for companies to get access to these tax credits. And it should not be used as a channel for audits. And this all links into this broader discussion of innovation and why Canada's innovation lags that in the U.S. and other countries. And the very last one, you know, has to do with access to capital for startups. And it's sad when you interview Canadian startup entrepreneurs and American, the Americans say, our goal is to build a global company, to create a billion dollar company, to create a unicorn. The Canadian dream is I want to build a company that becomes attractive to a big U.S. company to buy me out. And it's very difficult in Canada to get access to credit. It's very difficult to grow for lots of reasons, getting access to credit, the tax system, but also getting customers. Linking this back to the question of protectionism, you know, when you don't have a hundred banks, when you have only five banks, or even when you think about the grocery chains, how they tend to be really concentrated, or the telecoms or the airlines, it really makes it difficult for companies to operate. So what do they do? They end up going to the U.S. or elsewhere, and Canadians lose. Just to play devil's advocate for a moment here, regulations exist for a reason. Um, we can debate whether or not there are too many of them uh, or they're too difficult to get through, but, you know, they're intended to accomplish something. Same uh, with, you know, protectionist strategies that are there to presumably keep Canadian companies healthy. 
How do we balance the need for some of those things with the need for innovation or for the kind of selection that brands like Kleenex and the other ones we've discussed bring to the market? When you look at global surveys that look at dealing with government, Canada ranks amongst the most difficult. So it's not as if Canada is the only country dealing with these kinds of issues. You know, to argue that somehow, you know, people in the UK or France or Germany or Italy or the United States are not as patriotic and don't want domestic companies. No, we all want the same thing. But secondly, and I think here's the important point, when you protect these companies, they're then not able to compete. And I have tremendous confidence in the talent that we have in Canada to build companies that are able to compete on a global scale. If you look across the G7, where regulations are not as stringent, where availability of capital is a lot more available relative to Canada, these countries, they still have their national brands. Their national brands are doing well, but they're also able to compete globally. If you look at the Canadian companies, when they're protected in the way that they are, what's happening is they're not as productive. They cannot compete in the global economy the same way similar companies in other countries can. And as a result, incomes in Canada fall. Hmm. And here's the sad part, Jordan. It's not until our incomes fall so much that people will really start to get anxious about this. As our incomes fall further and further behind other developed countries, then we're going to have to do some soul searching to say, what has to change in Canada? And I argue, and the book argues, that we have to stop being backward looking. The world has changed. You know, if you look at the sources of prosperity in Canada, the two big sources have been access to natural resources and access to the U.S. economy. Right. And both of those are coming under strain. So Ed Luce, who wrote a beautiful book called The Retreat of Western Liberalism, and he says that when Donald Trump was elected, everybody thought there would be a snapback because Donald Trump became very protectionist and almost canceled the NAFTA, which really would have undermined Canadian prosperity. Now that Donald Trump lost and Joe Biden is the president, he has not rolled back any of those protectionist measures which means that the U.S. access to the U.S. market should not be taken as a given. And the fact that 75% of our exports go to the U.S. is a problem because, as we know in business, you don't put all of your eggs in one basket. So that's access to the U.S. market. You know, Canada has 14% of the world's proven reserves of oil. So we're the third richest country in the world in terms of endowments of oil. But the future of oil is in question, given you know, the move to a net carbon zero and the Paris requirements for net zero. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the sources of prosperity, natural resources and access to the U.S. market, protectionism and these regulations, they worked and they worked well. But as the world is shifting, these government regulations must shift as well. And Jordan, we're very clear in the book, the government must regulate. There's a huge role for government, but the way in which government regulates should not be backward looking. It has to be forward looking to prevent Canadians from falling further and further behind. Well, thank you so much for this. Really fascinating. And I'm so glad we got to look at the bigger picture. 
these are important issues and I'm happy you allowed us to put it in this much broader context. Thank you. Walid Hajazi from the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management. That was The Big Story. You can find more at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find every single episode of The Big Story there, by the way, close to 1,400 of them by now. It's a lot. You can also talk to us anywhere you like. Actually, that's not true. There are three ways you can talk to us. The first is via Twitter at The Big Story FPN. The second is with email. You can get us at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And the third is with a phone call and a voicemail. That number is 416-935-5935. The Big Story is in all the podcast players, in all the apps, and on all the smart speakers as long as you ask them to play The Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.